Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, with Pastor John King. Something different? Yeah. What would you guys think? Who was that voice behind there? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Who did the intro though? Who did the intro? That was yeah. I thought that was fantastic. I thought it was great. I thought it was real neat. Well, good morning, everybody. Well, here we are in Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City. Uh, and we're going to be in uh, First Th- Thessalonians. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9 of chapter 3 this morning. 1 through 9 of chapter 3. You guys have probably heard the verse, Romans 10, 17. It says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this verse summarizes most of our teaching last week. You recall that the Apostle Paul was beside himself with constant thanksgiving to God because of how thoroughly effective the simple preaching of God's word was at Thessalonica. They heard the gospel from Paul and his companions. They received it with welcome hearts because, why? Because they truly believed that it was God's word, not Paul's word, not Silas's or Timothy's. And the result was a supernatural energy that changed the lives of these early church members. They were evangelizing from Macedonia up in northern Greece, all the way down to Ikea, which is in the southern peninsula of Greece. And along the way, they were persecuted for their faith, just as the early church in Judea. The point is, what worked, and we're always asking about what works in church. What worked was the fact that when Paul and his companions preached God's word, it was as though Jesus himself was speaking. The Holy Spirit was energizing, and the church responded with faith and good works. That's the simple you know, process, if you will, if you were to sum it up, what's the church all about? That's the simplest thing. And this work continues to this very day. You guys know that Jesus said in John chapter 10 that he is the good and true shepherd. And we, are, we who are his sheep follow him. Why? Because we know his voice. The preaching of the word of God is essential to the life of the church, both then and now. And it cannot be replaced by entertainment or music or drama or discussion groups or guided experiences. These things may certainly have their place, but never at the expense of the ministry of preaching God's word. Amen. Amen. Now today, um, as we've come through the first chapters of this very short letter, the first two chapters we've covered... And they explained how the church was born in adversity and how it was nurtured by the Word of God, as we just explained. So the question is, after you get saved, after you establish a church, after you become a Christian, what's the next step towards maturity? And here Paul is going to give us another lesson on something we've heard before. That is, we have to now learn how to stand in Christ. If you were born anew anew and as a new child of God, You have to learn how to walk, how to stand, and how to walk as a Christian. And so for that, Paul has sent them Timothy. Timothy is one who will minister to them with love and with patience. 
as these new believers start to grow in their faith. Notice, though, as we read our passage, just how transparent Paul is with his concern from the church. Again, we are in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. He says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone, and sent Timothy, our, la- our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it has happened, and you know. And for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Let's bow our head for a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you for our time today. And we ask, Lord, uh, once again, you know, we've come and we've gathered for the very reason that you've stated that the, the preaching of the word of God would be brought forth, Lord God. We thank you for the time that we spend together, just the fellowship we have, the time we get to sing songs together and to one another and to you, Lord. And we thank you for the prayer that we shared this morning. And we thank you for the prayer that we share even now. And so, Lord, just go before us today. Your word is, is uh, simple and straightforward for us to understand most of the time. And so, Lord, we just want to take it in as food for our soul, as fuel for our prayers, as energy to be witnesses to you, of you, throughout this world that you've placed us in. We pray this now in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Well, we start out, and you notice that Paul had a very genuine concern, and he was very transparent. And his concern was really for those at Thessalonica, where he knew that their faith was being severely tested. It wasn't just, you know, they lost their friends and family. It was a very severe trial for anybody to give their life to the Lord at that time and in this place. And so he's very concerned, and and he says, uh, you know, his concern, it it really leads to a self-sacrificial action, Paul's concern. And so he starts out, and he says, therefore, and you guys know, if you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. And so he was really just talking about the situation that he'd been describing, how they had suffered persecution, and how they were still on fire for the Lord. Remember, he had only been with them for three weeks. This is a very young church. When you consider the life of a church, this was just an infant stage, if you will, but they were on fire for God because they knew it was true and the power of the Holy Spirit was real in their lives. So his concern leads to this self-sacrificial action. But he says, you know, when we could no longer endure it, and here's Paul just kind of bearing his heart. Remember, Paul and his companions, they had to be shoved away. They had to be taken away at nighttime for fear of probably being killed or beaten by a crowd, a mob of people that had gathered to come against this new uh, gospel. 
And so he was forcefully separated from them. Last week we talked about it. He felt like he had been orphaned from their presence and from their fellowship. And you could just imagine what it would be like. You know, you're going through, you're, you're doing things, you're serving the Lord here at Calvary Chapel. I mean, a real mild example, right? Then all of a sudden something happens and you're taken away. You know, circumstance in your life and you can't be in fellowship with your brothers and sisters. You're kind of exiled. You feel like you've been orphaned. And that's where Paul was. And we also know, we learned last week, that he'd been repeatedly hindered by Satan to get back. You know, we talked about that hindering. It's though the road was washed out and he couldn't get there. That's what that word hindered means. To be totally blocked from access. And so Paul here, uh, he expresses the resolve to do whatever it takes to make contact with them. And so when we can no longer endure it or no longer hold out. Now again, what was Paul's main concern for this church? It was that they might not, since they're such a young church and he knew how faith can be in people's hearts, they might not withstand the threat of persecution. And so here he was, he says, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. And New Living Translation says, we decided to stay alone in Athens. And for, so for Paul to be able to say that, you know, Athens, interestingly enough, Athens, the word in Greek means uncertainty. And you think about Jerusalem, you know, that's a whole different story. You know, it's, it's a whole different uh, meaning. But Athens, Athens is uncertainty. We know that it was, of course, and remains to be the capital of Greece. It was named after the goddess Athene who was supposedly the goddess of wisdom. So a name, uncertainty, through this supposed god of wisdom. That says it all right there, doesn't it? And he says, uh, you know, he had visited Athens. Of course, we know he was writing from uh, Corinth. But on his way to Corinth, he went through Athens. And he says, uh, we're going to be left in Athens alone. Now, if there ever was a pagan city that was hostile and dangerous towards the gospel, and you know, nowadays we can think of many cities around the world that are like that. But at that time, a uh, very pagan city, um, just a kind of a, a comment from one, one writer. He said, Athens was one of the world's oldest cities. It was a center for the arts, learning, and philosophy. It was the home to Plato's Academy and Aristotle's Lyceum. So if you're in college, you're reading Plato, you're studying the classic Greek, perhaps, even to this day. Athens was perhaps the birthplace of democracy and a place that was hostile to the gospel. This city full of idolatry provoked Paul's spirit and led to his confrontation with the philosophers at Mars Hill. And you can read about that in the book of Acts. But Paul thought it was worth the risk of remaining alone in Athens while Timothy went back. Actually, Timothy didn't really go back. He just stayed there in Thessalonica. Uh, and so if Paul couldn't go, he said, I'll send my best disciple. I'll send the one that I've you know, sort of raised, my, my son in the Lord, so that I've raised uh, in, in the gospel. And so he says, obviously, here we see it in verse 2. He says, And sent Timothy our brother to minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So this was no light decision for Paul. Now, uh, you know, we see this and you go, well, you know, he's, he's using, he's saying all these extra things. Why didn't you just say he sent Timothy? You know, why couldn't we just assume everything else about Timothy was true? He wanted to make sure that he understood, that they understood, of course, that Timothy was a fellow believer. You know, this guy's solid in the Lord. You know it, you were among him, and here I'm giving my endorsement to him. He's also a minister of God, a servant. 
the modern English word where we get the word deacon. And he was a fellow laborer. Now that, that word synergos, it, it talks about where we get the word synergy from. This is when people working together in ministry aren't working against one another, but they complement one another. And so they're promoting what? The gospel of Christ, he says. The gospel of Christ. Uan Gilion, this is glad tidings. This is the good news of great joy that your sins can be forgiven. You say, I don't have any sin. Well, I'm sorry. You know what? It's a sin to lie because you do. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be washed white as snow. You can become a new creation in Christ. You can have the assurance of eternal life because Jesus went to the cross. He defeated death. He defeated the enemy and he rose again. And so placing your trust in Jesus Christ assures you of eternal life with him. And so they, here they are, they're God, they're ministers, they're working together, not, not, not against one another, to promote the gospel, the good news. What a mission, when you think about it. You know, sometimes we have to work together to do things we don't really enjoy. Like cleaning out that old storage facility, or cleaning out your attic, or whatever it is. It can still be fun to work together to do those things. But working together to bring the gospel and the good news to people... That's what we're called to do, folks. And so this concern that he had, he seeks to strengthen and encourage those who are being tested. That's the whole reason he's sending Timothy is so that they can be strengthened and encouraged. This young church, he doesn't want to see them fall by the wayside. And so he says, I'm sending you, Timothy, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Establish you and encourage you concerning your faith your faith. That should should be our mission to one another on a regular basis, shouldn't it? Encourage. I love that word, encourage. It's parakaleo. What does that remind you of? The Holy Spirit, the comforter, parakaleo. It combines the ideas of exhorting and comforting and encouraging. All those things go together, right? Concerning your faith. Your faith is What we have, when you place your faith in Jesus, you now have the firm persuasion and conviction of having trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life with Him. It's that simple. But it's profound, isn't it? It's profound. And he says in verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. We never want to sugarcoat the truth about receiving Christ and becoming a Christian. He says, but you should not be shaken. This means to be agitated or disturbed by these afflictions. And the word for afflictions, at ellipsis, it means oppression, tribulation, distress. Anything which burdens the spirit of a Christian. Yes, sometimes it's your own sin in your life. But oftentimes it's spiritual warfare. Are those coming against you because you stand for Christ? Chuck Swindoll said it this way. He said, when it came to the spiritual truth of the inevitability of pain and suffering, the Thessalonians didn't learn this lesson merely in the abstract. They weren't getting it secondhand from the Psalms or hearing reports about fellow believers miles away. They experienced it firsthand. 
And Paul, we know he was being slandered. He was being lied about. The believers were being ridiculed for their faith. They were being threatened not to preach the gospel. You shut up. You keep your, your gospel and your church and your church building. Don't you dare bring it out. Don't you dare go on Facebook. Don't you dare go on social media with the gospel. That's what we're hearing, isn't it? Paul was being slandered and lied about. Everything that happened to them in, in Acts chapter 17, everything short of martyrdom was coming against them. And just think about it. They just recently got saved. They just recently became new Christians. So the question is, is for you and I, is Paul going to tell us how to be prepared or how do we keep from being shaken? In other words, shrinking back from our faith, maybe backsliding, maybe denying the Lord before men. How are we going to be prepared to do that? If you're taking notes, here it is, three things. First of all, know that you were appointed for per persecution. You were appointed for this. Secondly, notice, know that you will be tempted and then last, know that it will not be in vain if you stand fast. So you know that you are appointed for persecution. Whoopee, right? <laughs> know that you will be tempted. Oh, great. And know that it will not be in vain if you stand fast. He says, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Appointed means destined by God's intent. Paul reminds the new believers and you and I that persecution is not a sign of God's wrath. Rather, faith and suffering are both part of the Christian life, says one writer. And then he says in verse 4, so he, he, he kind of, he, he, he punctuates it. He says, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened and you know so when you came to Christ, you were called out of this world, John 15, 19. And now that you live for Christ, people should notice the change. But what happens is it exposes their own sin. You know, you're, you're, you're known as a believer. And hopefully you're known as somebody who's mild and, and, you know, meek, if you will, and kind and not obnoxious as a Christian, not always trying to, you know, beat them over the head with God's word but that you stand for Christ. And so what happens is when you walk up to the water cooler at work and they see you coming, whatever you know, gossip may have been going on or whatever kind of filthy talk may have been taking place, they change automatically. They start, oh, yeah, the Holy One has arrived, you know. <laughs> they don't necessarily say that. You know, you, some of you have had long relationships with people you work with that know you're a believer and they choose not to be. But they do change. Things change because you bring an atmosphere, not because of your own righteousness, we know that, but because the Holy Spirit lives within you and they know that you're a Christian, they know that you believe God's Word. And so, you know, for some people, they don't like that. They don't like that. And so, you know, you were called out of this world. I don't have a slide for this. John 15, Jesus explains it very well in John chapter 15. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. You know, if you, if you were going to just, when I first got saved the first time, it, was, it didn't really take, right? I mean, it was just like this, this shallow soil 
And I allowed the cares of the world to come in and just kind of rip everything out that I'd, you know, the, the enemy came along and just destroyed my, my testimony very quickly when I first surrendered my life to the Lord. And, you know, I, I tell you what, uh, people at first are like, oh, you're, okay, you, you know, you're a Bible thumper. Okay, John, yeah. And then they're watching you, and then you decide to abandon your faith, and then they're, you know, guess what? They're ready to welcome you back to the bar table, okay? They're ready to sit down and, and have some, some shots and some beers with you. And it's, you, you know, it's like a homecoming, and they're like, hey, come on back. And that happens. He says, but if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of this world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, says Jesus, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So as, as a believer, you know, you were called out. He finishes that section. He says, But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. And he's talking about the Jews. They hated me without a cause. I mean, people, you know, the enemy hates you because why? You surrendered your life to the Lord. And you want to live your life for Christ. And you want to live to serve others. And they hate that. Yeah, the enemy hates it. And he hates the fact that you're a Christian. And so you're called out. He says, for in fact, back to our text, he says, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation. And when he says we, now he includes we, them, and Paul and his companions. Now that they've become uh, part of the church. He says you would suffer tribulation. This is, means to suffer affliction, to be troubled. Uh, this, is, this is being under the pressure of the world, the pressure of society, the pressure of, you know, wanting to conform and to come against God's word, and your your body and your and your sinful nature also wars in that arena as well against your spirit. Matthew seven fourteen, Jesus wrote this. You've seen this. It says, "Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it." 2 Corinthians 4.8, Paul was talking about his experience. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. So there is pressure. There is pressure to conform. There is pressure that comes from all, from within and from without. And so he says, just as it happened, as you know. You know, the same pressure that would have been put on the new converts at Thessalonica, uh, some of the pressure came from the fact that um, the Roman military occupation and higher taxes were not imposed on this city. They kind of had it good. They were, they were sitting pretty with the, with the Caesar, if you will, in Thessalonica. And if you start worshiping another god in that culture, you lose those privileges. You lose the fact that, you know, we don't have a, a military occupation in our city. We don't have a garrison of, of troops and in order to have that garrison of troops, of course, the emperor's got to raise our taxes. We don't have that going on. And so that's one of the reasons why Paul was pushed out. Coming to faith in Christ meant that there was no other king but Jesus. And that was scary for the people in Thessalonica, the, the ones that were in control. 
And so the growth of that church would also increase their afflictions. Paul has a concern now that they would seek to be, to be steadfast, the perseverance of those who profess their faith. So number two, how do you prevent from being shaken? It's knowing in advance that you're going to be tempted. And for verse 5, he says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Notice he's asking a question. I, I, I want to I know where you're at with Jesus. Where, where are you at with Christ? And he was, you know, as, a, as an apostle, as a spiritual father to this church, he wanted to know. He wanted to get knowledge of that. He wanted to find out whether their faith was still strong. His thoughts would have probably gone like, what if they give in to temptation and, and abandon their faith? And he says, he says, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, referring to something future and uncertain. And he wanted God to avert that from happening. The tempter, we know it's Satan. He tempted you. To be tempted is to be tried or tested. Your faith being tested. Your virtue. Your character. To be enticed to sin. To, to solicit to sin. That's what the temptation comes to us. Everyone has been tempted. Everyone is tempted. Even Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was tempted in all ways. But he didn't sin. And that's how we can relate to him. We can relate to him in that, in that aspect. But we can't relate to the fact that we didn't sin. But we know that he paid our sins. Amen. And so he relates to us. Amen. He's not some God that sits out there you can't see. No, we see him. He's on the cross. And now he's off the cross. He still has the scars in his hands, the holes in his hands, the scars in his side. But he's our redeemer. Yes. But what does this tempter say to you? Well, he tempts them. James Grant wrote this. He says, what does the tempter say? He tempts them to give up on Jesus. He tempts them to turn back on all that they had left behind in the Roman world. But Paul knew this was a deadly game. We should be reminded of the word from the writer of Hebrews, describing those who are strangers and exiles on the earth, those who seek a homeland beyond this world. He states that if they think they had land they left, or think about the land they left and the world they left, they would have had the opportunity to return. You see, we are to put the past behind us. Hebrews 11.15 And then it says, When temptation arises, we must desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So if you live this life and you're trying to live your life as a Christian and you still got one foot in the old life, the old ways, you're going to divide it in your heart and your mind. And you're always looking back. You're always looking back to the way things were. You know, you're going to find yourself walking that direction if you allow it. And so we need to turn and we need to look to our heavenly kingdom, the place we're going to, even though it's hard on this side of heaven. God has not, not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city, Hebrews eleven sixteen. He's prepared for us a city, a new heaven and a new earth. Paul was also concerned of their vulnerability to temptation because they were new believers. When you look at the qualification of elders in 1 Titus 3.6, it says, Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride that he fall in the same condemnation as the devil. You know, he was, well, Paul knew the truth about this, and he was worried about that. 
And he wanted to know that the work that they had done, you know, the stripes that they had taken on their back, the fact that they were run out of town would not be in vain. Paul doesn't want to see the hard work go to waste. He says that our labor will, might not be in vain or might be in vain. What kind of labor are we talking about? It's not the fact that he took, you know, was beaten and run out. It's the fact that he kept teaching. It's the labor of love that's willing to endure trouble and pain for the salvation of others. Um, I was talking as Miss Susan this morning about the uh, Serve India Ministries uh, over in India. And I, she's going to uh, present to us uh, one of these Sundays a little update. So I'm not going to rob her of what she's going to say. But in, in Serve India Ministries, who we support as a church, and so many of us support individually, you know, they finally reached their goal of how many churches? 20,000 Yeah, I mean, they finally reached their goal. Now, India is not this wonderful place where you have the freedom to go out and spread the gospel, right? You can read about the news all along, all the time. And so what an amazing thing has happened. And so these folks are willing to labor. These pastors are willing to labor for the sake of the gospel in dangerous places. That's kind of a, maybe a novel thought. It's kind of a distant thought for us, isn't it? India is a long ways away. But we're coming to a time, I don't know when it's going to be. It sure looks like the direction that our country is heading is going to come harder and harder against Christianity. And, you know, foreign nations, they feel bad for us, right? We used to have all these missionaries going out to the world, and we still do. But now foreign nations don't like to see the, the country of the United States to go in the direction they do. So what are they doing? They're sending their own missionaries <laughs> to us. Uh, so, man, I'll tell you. But Paul says, I don't want this labor to go to be in vain. Paul has given us some lessons on discipleship so far, hasn't he? Amen. You know, some of the things that we can put to use in our lives, in our, in our ministry to one another, whoever you're called to minister with or to, is follow-up. It's that simple concept of disciple-making where you check in after spending time with someone. You, you know, you might have had a prayer request. You might want to send updates. It's just, usually it's very simple and sweet. Hey, I'm just checking in. How's it going with you? You know, we spent some time in prayer, you, you know, I, I'm just getting to know you. These things happen. I know they happen. I don't know everything that happens around here, but, the, you know, the, the, those wonderful things happen. I know that people are staying in contact because I see the ministries that are forming with the ladies and the guys, how people stay together. And so I know that there is follow-up, but these are simple lessons on discipleship. And Paul is, in a sense, being, you know, kind of following up. Now, he's much more intense about what he's doing, much more purposeful about reaching to these Thessalonians. But, you know, it's, it's the old saying, right? Somebody, somebody said Teddy Roosevelt may have written this saying. Others say he's unknown. But the saying goes like this. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, you've heard that before. Uh, we live in a, an age of so much knowledge. And so sometimes that's all we want to put forth in our conversations is our own knowledge. But we need to let one another know that we care. Because until we do that, they don't care how much you know. <laughs> okay? Uh, that's for all of us, right? 
Also, we learn from Paul that we don't want to sugarcoat things with new believers or those that you witness to. We are appointed to persecution. It's a fact of life. Chuck Swindoll put it this way, and this is always good to keep in mind, especially when you're going through a rough time. Nothing happens to us accidentally. God has determined what is best for us and how we can best be formed into the image of Christ. Because of this truth, we should never be shocked or scandalized or by the extent or the amount of diversity. Like the Thessalonians, we've all been forewarned. When affliction comes, we must be prepared to face it with faith, love, and hope. That's how we're going to face it. We're going to know. Paul demonstrated his love for the Thessalonians by sending them his greatest asset in ministry. Paul was willing to do without the blessing of Timothy's encouragement. Now think about it. Paul and Timothy were in this awesome ministry opportunity. Would have been if Timothy had not stayed. He's going to come down later. They'll be, of course, reunited. But here Paul was in Athens. Now if there ever was a place where the Lord was willing to do a mighty work. Paul wanted all the help he could get, and he wanted Timothy to be with him. And so he sends his best student, if you will, his best disciple back to this church because he knows what's best for them. He's willing to part with it. He was willing to do without the blessing, the the great joy and the comfort, the ministry partner, in order to do what was best for this little church at the time, even though they had landed in the great city of Athens. He could have said, man, we can have this awesome mega church here in Athens, right? I mean, look at the name of their city. It's called Uncertain. Surely we can give them some certainty about what things are going to be like, right? But Paul said, no, I'm going to send my best and brightest. And we know that he came away from Athens. He was able to witness Christ, but there wasn't, you know, a big church formed there. You know, you and I, we need to be very mindful of our tendency. And this is, this is when we're in a position of influence, whether it's our workplace, our ministry, our family. We need to be mindful of our tendency to arrange situations to maximize our own joy, to maximize our own pleasure. You know, we want to go for the best that there is, right? Because that's the opposite of gospel thinking, isn't it? Gospel thinking says, I die. I'm willing to die. That goes against our flesh. G.K. Chesterton once remarked, how much larger your life would be if yourself could be made smaller in it? Man. And this is what was motivating Paul. It was a powerful testimony of the gospel. And it should stir us to deny ourselves, shouldn't it? When John the Baptist was having baptized Jesus and You know, he was there baptizing, still doing what he was called to do, but Jesus was drawing bigger and bigger crowds. He was approached, and John the Baptist said this, John 3.30, he said, He, referring to Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message right there. That's the gospel mindset. In our next section, we're going to look at genuine joy because we see that it really turned out well. I mean, Timothy comes back and he gives a good report. This is a genuine joy that comes from a, true li- a truly life-changing news about brothers and sisters who are persevering in faith and love. 
keep in mind how important it is for you and I to be able to share with one another the things that the Lord is doing. The praise reports. The things that God is doing and how even if we've been you know, under oppression or whatever difficult times, that there, there's still perseverance and that we're growing in faith and love. And he says in verse 6, But now that Timothy has come from us to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. This is good. You know, Paul is explaining what he was thinking, what he was, I told you he was being very transparent. Faith and love. Let's, let's review faith. Generally, since, you know, when you talk about faith, you ask anybody about faith, what it generally means, it's the conviction of the truth about anything. It's your belief system. And when it relates to God, it's the conviction that you and I have that God exists and he's the creator and ruler of all things. He's the provider and the bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. That's simply from Blue Letter Bible's dictionary. What, what faith as it relates to God. And faith as it relates to Christ. This is a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah. Through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. That's, just, that's what faith is. And so faith, and he also talks about love, which is the word charity in the King James Version. That word agape, the affection and goodwill they have for Paul and his companions. How do they love Paul and his companions? Because they think of them and they greatly desire to see them. When you hate someone, and to that degree you actually have murder in your heart, it's that person that you could care less whether you saw them ever again. And that's the truth, the sad truth of some of our life, isn't it? Some people in our lives. But when your true love is wanting to be around it, to be thinking of somebody and to wanting to spend time with them. This is really important when we talk about our marriage relationships, the husband and wife. Because at times in a marriage relationship, it can appear to one or the other spouse that they don't really want to spend time with me. They don't really, they we're with me all the time, but they don't really want to spend time with me. And so we lack love when we hold back. We withhold this desire to want to spend time and to see one another. You know, of course, in the marriage context, but also in a fellowship sense. And he says, and that you ha always have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Now this was important to Paul because of all the slander that his enemies had slung against him. That they, he knew that they were saying against him. And they'd heaped it up on Paul and his companions. And he was so greatly relieved that they really wanted to spend time with him. They had what we call mutual affection. Is it okay to want to be liked? Is it okay to want to be liked? Yes, it is. That's right. Of course it's okay to want to be liked. But it's, it's when we know the difference between flattering others in order to be liked and followed and receiving comfort in knowing that people genuinely care about you in spite of your shortcomings. And when we know that our truest friend is Jesus Christ... Proverbs 18.24 A man who has friends must be himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
So yes, it's okay to be liked, as long as it's not for, you know, uh, like to gain something. We, we want to be liked because of mutual respect and friendship and companionship, but not in order to create something. So to be a friend, or to have friends, you have to be a friend. You have to be friendly. And why it's so good is because of the comfort it brings. Look at verse 7. He says, therefore, brethren, again, fellow, fellow believers, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. To hear back from Timothy. Now, our affliction, not only does Paul probably feel, still feel the stripes on his back, he can probably still hear the crowds shouting, could you imagine being shouted down? You see it on TV. You see people gathering in large groups to protest and shout one another down. Could you imagine being the recipient of that? Most of us are like, I don't want any part of that. And he still hears it in his mind. But apparently, Paul was still having a fair amount of difficulty of his own in Corinth. When you read Acts 18, it, reco it records that Paul had been called to stand trial before the proconsul Gallio based on accusations by, accusations by some of the Jewish leaders. Even though he was released. And so, there are some scholars who think that it was much worse than that. But yeah, he was called, but you can imagine the threats that came, the anonymous threats or the direct threats that came against Paul from those who hated him. And so he's, he's been under this stress. And he said, Would, knowing how you're doing, knowing the fact that your faith is still strong, brings comfort to me. And he says, he, he gives us in verse 8, a very short verse, that he provides us the connection between joy and the perseverance of other believers. It's just sometimes it's so heartwarming to know that you've got a friend who's gone through a hard time, but they're still walking close with the Lord. And that is so heartwarming for us. He says, for now we live this sense of living and striving, if you stand fast in the Lord. And here again, we come to the if word. Um, the Bible, even though we talked about election and we believe in election, God foreknew and predestination, we teach on that. It's an absolute doctrinal truth. There's always that if word on occasion that we run into. And that if talks about our responsibility to the Lord. You have God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Men and women have been arguing about this for thousands of years. So join the crowd if it, if it's, if it boggles your mind a little bit. But remember, God is beyond our ways. He, his ways are not our ways. He says, if you stand fast in the Lord, to stand firm, to persist, to persevere, this means staying faithful to God and the gospel message. You know, I don't think we're talking about losing salvation, to be quite honest. We're talking about people who just basically pull back. They pull back from their commitment. If you ask them, they would say, well, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. And then if you push too hard and, you know, where do you go to church? Oh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Okay, I get it. I get it. How's your spiritual life? How's your walk with the Lord? Well, that's where the conversation starts to change. He says, we're called to stand fast in the Lord. 
And in verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before God? Again, he's, just, he's basking in this pleasure and this joy and this comfort. It comes from knowing that they are doing okay. Despite what's happened, this little church in Thessalonica is still doing fine. And they would love to see Paul. They would love to have fellowship. They would love to get together. And he's, he's so happy about that. And so, again, really we're just talking about the spiritual condition and so that's where we need to be together. We can have it on our own, you know, when we come for prayer and our needs, you know, testimonies and our, and our fellowship and being transparent and honest with one another and encouraging one another. Remember that knowing each other's spiritual condition, you're not going to know everything about everybody. We know that. The Lord knows your heart. But if you're willing to share amongst one another what the Lord's doing in your life, the struggles and the trials that He's taken you through, Man, that goes a long way. That brings joy. Not because we want to be nosy about your life. There is discretion of the things we would say. Of course, there's decency in, in among one another. But knowing each other's spiritual condition so that we can pray and so that we can rejoice together and we can grow together. So how does this mutual affection resonate with you? You know, we've seen what's happened. We've seen how Paul and this, this church was relating to one another. We've seen that they were doing well. But how does it resonate with you? Is it just, I come on Sunday and I leave. I come in, you know, and then I leave. We'll see you next Sunday. Love you guys. Do you, do you miss coming to church when circumstance prevents it? That, that's a telling sign, isn't it? Do you communicate your love and affection to others? Do you tell people why you appreciate them? Do I? Hey, thank you guys, man. Thanks for coming. Thanks for serving with us. You know, I, why do I appreciate you? Because you're so faithful. Amen. You're so faithful to come and you meet the schedule. You, you know, Pastor John, he comes and he serves. He leads prayer. I'm so, John, I'm thankful for that. Amen. Amen? <laughs> just knowing that we can just let one another know why we enjoy our fellowship together. And why do you get excited when you see others growing in their faith? Why, why do you get excited when you see what's happening, when you see fellowship happening? It's not because, you know, I, we want to build some empire here. It's because of parakaleo, the Holy Spirit is among us. And that's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So as we conclude our message today, I would just encourage you guys, you know, open up a little further, take another, take a little deeper chance with one another. Maybe there's somebody here that you haven't got to know, you've been wanting to get to know better. That's my challenge, I guess, to you. Amen. 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 Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together today, Lord. We thank you for the message that you've given us. And we ask simply that you would go before us now as we close in a song and Lord, as we get ready to uh, go home and to be with our loved ones or perhaps some are on travel or you've got a busy week ahead of us, Lord, we ask for your grace and your love to be with us, Lord. We ask that we would take these things that we enjoy uh, in the fellowship and enjoy them even more after, after we break here today, spending time with one another. We love you, Lord. 
we know that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are stick closer than a brother. And so, Lord, we just want to give our thanks to you for your goodness, your greatness, your love, and your mercy. Go before us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.